Welcome to church. I am Brad Scott Johnson. On behalf of the elders and the staff of California Community Church, welcome to Christmas season. How many of you, this is your first Christmas season church service so far? Let me see your hands. Yeah, some of you, it's like, okay, I'm into it now. This is our second week in a new series. We're going to go all through the month in this series. I think this is the most wonderful time of the year. But let me just acknowledge this. There is sadness attached to this time of year for so many of us, right? My brother passed away at Christmas time, and I just, you know, I always feel that every Christmas. But in spite of that, it still remains the most wonderful time of the year. There's a lot of stress attached to this season. How many of you would agree with that, right? A lot of stress in this season, financial stress, family stress, a lot of stress. But even with stress, I think this remains the most what? Wonderful time of the year, I do. I'll tell you why. The essence of Christmas, what it means to really experience Christmas, began 2,000 years ago, has continued for two millennia now. The impact on the world then continues to be the impact on the world now. What Christmas can do for you is to leave you awestruck. No matter how stressful, no matter how sad, Christmas, what God did in our world, can leave you awestruck. You've had moments of awestruck in the past, I would imagine. Those moments that are just so profound, so out of the ordinary for you, they leave you not just speechless, they leave you breathless. And the story of Christmas, the hope of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, I actually believe can do that for you today. No matter what you're facing, no matter what's hard in your life right now, no matter what's broken or sad in your life right now, I really do believe this season, this experience of Christ can leave you just like, oh, like just awestruck. Last week we learned what awestruck means. And I want to share that with you. There's like three parts to it. First, it is for sure a heartfelt wonder. Christmas is something that touches the heart. Christmas is something that changes the heart. Christmas is something that fills the heart. It is a heartfelt wonder. Second, I think Christmas is divine clarity. Like we experience God clearer than any other time. Like the world had never known God like this. The world had known God's power. At times, the world had heard God's voice. They had seen God's protection. Many people had experienced God's provision, but they'd never seen him like this. God took off the robes of divinity. He took off the characteristic of invisibility, and he became tangible. He became God with skin. He became the person that we know as Jesus Christ. And the reality of being able to see God like he's just never been done before. It was like, for sure, divine clarity. And then we know that awestruck means heavenly splendor. Like when heaven and earth collided, well, we call that Christmas. When you realize just how close God is to you, you'll feel what? Don't make me start over. <laughs> you'll feel awestruck. That's what this season is all about. That's what it's all about for me. I hope that's what it's all about for you. In spite of the stress, in spite of the sad parts of the holiday, I want you to lean into the wonder and the mystery and the very presence of God who is with us. What I want to do today is talk about something that's a little tricky. 
It's a cornerstone belief for followers of Jesus, but it's still tricky because it's complex. It's a bit philosophical. It's a bit ethereal. It's a bit like hard to get your arms around. And yet it's the simplest, most basic heart of what happened at Christmas. I think this is going to have some meaning for followers of Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and I just want to acknowledge that some of you are not, that's cool. We're a church that's cool with that. Like you may even come from a different faith background or no faith background. And I hope you know, I think you do, that you're completely welcome here. I want to be as clear as possible today to explain this tricky principle, this part of Christmas that we really need to get our head and our heart around. And I think it's going to encourage followers of Jesus. But I want to talk about it in a way that's meaningful for everybody who's here today. I want to talk about what theologians call the incarnation. Now, don't check out on me, okay? Like, oh gosh, here we go, seminary word. I want this to be helpful. I want this to be practical. But for just a minute, let's get smart and land on this big word, can we? Incarnation, say it, incarnation, like incarnation, the incarnation, it's divinity taking on flesh, say it, it's divinity taking on flesh. Like just look at the word, incarnate, like what does that mean, like divide it up, incarnate. Now, fortunately, we live in Southern California, so we know what carne asada is, right? I mean, I love me some carne asada, how many of you like carne asada, right? Carne means flesh. We're carnivores. We're going to have some meat in our carne asada. That's what it is. Then you add the word in to the word flesh. It means in flesh. God came in carne. Now, every time you hear carne asada, you're going to say, oh, God. (laughs) You know, because it's like, that's what we're talking about. God in the flesh. God in the flesh. It's very simple to define in that way, but it's kind of awe-striking to unpack. And I'm going to try to do that today. I want to read to you from the book of Matthew, which is in the Christian part of the Bible. And it's chapter 1, some very powerful verses. It's kind of the beginning of the Christmas story. And it for sure describes incarnation, God coming in flesh. So you've got your note page in front of you. You can follow along. The words are on the screen. You can follow along there as well. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man who didn't want to disgrace her publicly because here she is pregnant and not, you know, married to him. So he decides to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, right? And the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will what? Save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son. They will call him what? Which means what? God with us. God with us. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, God's with us. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's with us. 
Make it personal. Say, God's with you. Go ahead, say it. God's with you. We're talking about incarnation. What's the incarnation? In order to clearly define this in a way that I hope everybody will, you know, be able to understand, I went to the source of all wisdom and knowledge to get a definition. I went to Wikipedia to get a definition for incarnation. But what I found there was so convoluted. It was so heady. I mean, I have a master's degree. I have a doctorate. And I didn't understand the definition that was in Wikipedia. So I just threw that out, and I just kind of came up with my own. Like, I want to get to the cornerstone of what this means because it's so important for followers of Jesus everywhere. The incarnation is when God became flesh in the person of his son, Jesus. Can you understand that? That's what incarnation is. Now, it's described a lot of ways in the Bible. John, the best friend of Jesus, John wrote one of the biographies of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of John. And the very first words of the Gospel of John describe the incarnation. In the beginning was the Word. Now, that's kind of a strange, what you, in the beginning was the Word. Like, what does that mean? The Greek word for word, the Greek there, is in the beginning was logos, logos. But the Greeks were philosophical people. And logos had a pretty big, comprehensive meaning. It basically meant perfect truth. It basically meant the highest reality. It basically meant full divinity. Truth, reality, divinity. And it was this philosophical concept they called Logos, and that's what people had. In the beginning, they had this, but it was intangible and really hard to get your mind around. What, what is this highest philosophy? What is this most comprehensive truth? Like Logos, they'd say it, but nobody could really understand it. But John, the best friend of Jesus, said that was in the beginning the most perfect, the highest, the ultimate. In the beginning was this, logos, the word, and the word was with God. Now say this next phrase. And the word was God. And then say this next phrase. And the word became, became flesh. That's incarnation. The incarnation is when God who existed as spirit existed as Logos, entered into our world in the person, carne asada, in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is God in flesh. Who's with me so far? You're hanging in there. You're gonna have a seminary degree at the end of this. You're gonna have your master's, right? Can you imagine? The conversation that took place in heaven between God and Jesus as God was preparing Jesus for this. Like my vivid imagination kicks in, like what that conversation may have been like. Let me give you an example. This past week, Karen and I were watching that favorite holiday rom-com, Mission Impossible, and we were, we were watching that. And do you remember how all Mission Impossible movies started? Your mission... If you choose to what? 
if you choose to accept it. And I kind of think that's what happened in heaven. I think God's describing this, said, Jesus, I've got this mission for you. And if you choose to accept it, I'm going to send you to earth to fulfill my perfect will, to be a sacrifice for the forgiveness of everyone's sins. And Jesus may have said, tell me more. And God may have said, well, Jesus, I've chosen this woman. She's going to be your mother. You're going to love her. She's a teenage girl. She's completely devoted to us. Her name is Mary. She loves us so much. She's going to be an amazing mom to you. And I've also chosen for you an earthly stepdad. I'm your father, but you're going to have an earthly stepfather, and his name is Joseph. And God might have said, to be real honest, Joseph isn't going to get a lot of press. Mary's going to get most of the attention, but Joseph is in the story. Now, Jesus, when you go to earth, you have to remember, if you're going to be born, you're going to first have to spend nine months in Mary's womb. That's going to be new for you. And then you're going to be birthed into this cold, cruel world. And because you don't have an earthly father who helped conceive you, a sin nature is not going to be passed to you. You'll be born with perfection. But you will be born of a woman. So you will be fully human because you have a human mom. But God may have said, because I'm your real father, you're also going to be fully divine. You are human and you are divine. You are man and you are also God. So that, that's my mission, Jesus may have asked. That's your mission. Jesus, I'm sending you to seek and to save the lost. It's a rescue mission. I want you to find those who are dead in their sin. And I want you to bring them spiritual life and abundant life. I want you to give your life for them. Like they've sinned. There's a price that has to be paid for the sin. I want you to pay that price with your life. Now, Jesus, do you know who you're going for? And, and Jesus might have answered, well, I'm not going for the righteous. So I must be going for the sinful. I'm not going for the spiritually healthy. I must be going for the spiritually sick. And I must be going because these people are like sheep without a shepherd. They're wandering, lost. They don't have direction. They haven't found purpose or meaning in their life. And I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna give that to them. I mean, we can't shout our love from heaven, so I need to go to earth to show them our love. Is that right? And God the Father would have said, that's right. Because see, God isn't just someone who loves. He is, in fact, love. And Jesus came to show us his essence. Jesus might have said, when I go, I'll give them such a clear picture of who you are that people will refer to me 
as Emmanuel, they will really know for the first time ever like this that God is with them. Now, you need to understand, that's all in my imagination. But it had to be pretty incredible in heaven to get ready for Christmas that very first time. You ever thought about that? Like, what was it like in heaven before the very first Christmas? Bet you never thought about it. So back to Matthew chapter 1 again, that very first part of the Christian scriptures, right where we started this morning. And I want you to hear it again, but now with some understanding and some context around incarnation. And she, Mary, will have a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. For he will what? Save his people, say it, from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son. And they will call him what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. That's the phrase we're going to land on. Incarnation means God came to be with us. God with us. We're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking this, I hope in a really practical way. Practically for you, practically for me. I want us to get our hearts, our heads around the concept, Emmanuel, God with us. What does that mean? First, it means when you're lost, when you're lost, he is with you as what? He's with you as your guide. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had to pray, God, what do I do next? What do I do now? When's the last time you had to pray that? I mean, for some of you, it's probably this morning. You know, what do I do now? What do I do next? Because through our life, we always need guidance. We always need a guide. You know, through my life, I've gone to therapists, I've gone to coaches, I've gone to counselors. Because I believe if we're going to accelerate our healing, we're going to have to do that with someone else's help. Now, we can try to figure it out on our own, but that's the slow train. How many of you have ever taken the slow train? I for sure have. I've, I've been on the slow train. Just try to figure it out by myself. But if you want to accelerate your development, accelerate your growth, speed up your learning, you're going to need a counselor. You're going to need a coach. You're going to need a guide. When you get ready to do that work, get a therapist. Get a counselor, get a guide. We all need that in our life. How many of you agree with that? We all need that in our life. Here's what's cool. Emmanuel means that you can actually turn to Jesus as a guide in your life. Every day, every issue, every dilemma of your life, he is counselor. This was actually written in the scriptures. The Old Testament famous Jewish prophet Isaiah predicted the coming of Messiah, and he said, here's what you'll call him. He will be called wonderful what? Say it. Counselor. Wonderful counselor. This is just a part 
of what Emmanuel means. God is always with you. You always have a guide. You always have his counsel. Here's what it also means. When you're alone, he's with you as your, as your companion. Have you ever been lonely in a crowd? You might be lonely in this crowd. Have you ever been lonely in a relationship? Don't point, just, you know, in your heart, just kind of, yeah, I, I, I've, been, I've been lonely in a relationship. This past week, I was at a conference. There were about 2,000 people there. I didn't know a soul. Didn't know a soul. I was there for a week. And I felt a little alone. 2,000 people in the same room, and yet it's possible to still feel lonely. But there have been times in my life where I have literally been all by myself, but I didn't feel lonely because I strongly experienced the presence of Jesus with me. Does this make sense to you? When we say, Emmanuel, God with us, that doesn't mean sometimes with us. That doesn't mean just in the good times with us, just when life is easy with us. It means he was beside your bed when you were troubled last night. He was there. When you weren't getting sleep, he was there. He was next to you, in that conversation that went sideways with your boss, he was with you. When your kid went off the rails and got in trouble, Jesus was with you. When your spouse walked out the door, he was still Emmanuel. God was with you. If we could just wrap our head around this one fact about God, this one aspect of who God is, that there's never been a time in your life, there will never be a time in your life, you'll never find yourself in a place in your life when he isn't there. If you could get your head around that, your confidence level will rise, and I promise it will leave you awestruck. Emmanuel, God with us. What does that mean? It means when you're hurting, he's with you as your comforter. He's with you as your comforter. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, the disciples were elated because they, they thought Jesus was Messiah who would be with them forever and ever. His kingdom would not end. And then they saw him die. And then they saw him buried. And they thought, he's gone. We're alone again in this world. And then when he resurrected, they were so joy-filled. But then Jesus announced he was going back to heaven. And now they're deflated again. And now they're confused. But you said you'd be with us. And Jesus said, oh, I will be. When I go to heaven, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit, God as Spirit, and he will be with you. The word that Jesus used when we translate it Holy Spirit is a Greek word, paraclete. And the Greek word paraclete means comforter. When you say Holy Spirit, you're saying comforter. When you say paraclete, the word that's used in the scripture, you're saying comforter. 
When Jesus said, I'll send you the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm gonna send you a comforter to every broken heart. This is why we're awestruck at Christmas, because God did not come to frighten us. He didn't come to berate us. He didn't come to judge us. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to comfort us, to be our paraclete, to be our comforter. You with me so far? When we say Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God is with us. Here's what we mean, that when you're afraid, Emmanuel is with you as your peace. In that famous passage of scripture we read a moment ago, written by that famous Jewish prophet Isaiah saying Jesus is wonderful counselor, he also described Jesus like this. He is prince of, prince of peace. Have you ever wondered why certain stories about Jesus made it into the Bible and other stories about Jesus didn't make it in the Bible? You know, there were other stories about Jesus that didn't make it in the Bible. As a matter of fact, John, Jesus' best friend, said that if all the stories about Jesus were told, all the words that Jesus spoke were written down, all the books in all the libraries of the world couldn't hold it. There's just a lot that Jesus said and did in his 33 years on earth. But some of that was captured for all time in our Bible. And why some stories? Why do we have the stories about Jesus that we do? Have you ever wondered that? Because God knew what we needed to know most of all about him and about life and about ourselves. He knew our greatest needs and put in the scriptures those stories that would address our needs. Apparently, one of our greatest needs is to have our fear replaced by peace. Like so many things that Jesus did, he finds his disciples troubled and afraid. He finds them anxious and worried. He uses the word peace over and over again. Stories where he did that, they're in the Bible, just because that must be something we need to learn. One of the stories, we find the disciples in a terrible storm out on the Sea of Galilee, and the Bible says they were terribly afraid. So there's that word fear. They're afraid that the boat's going to capsize and they're going to drown. And here's what's interesting in that story. Jesus was also on board the boat with them. Does anybody know what Jesus was doing during the storm? Anybody know? What was he doing? Yeah, he's taking a nap. Jesus taking a nap. Why? Because we're supposed to learn that Jesus doesn't get afraid in storms. And he wanted to teach us that we don't have to be afraid in storms either. See, when Jesus is in your life, you stop looking at the storm. Listen, if you're looking at your storms, you're going to live terrified. If you're hyper-focused on your problems, you're going to drown in your problems. You with me? But if Jesus is on your boat, if you understand Emmanuel, God is with you, then you can look at Jesus and not the storm, and you can allow his peace to become your peace. Who's following? Prince of peace. Prince of peace. 
Let's keep working here. What does Emmanuel mean? It means when you're weak, he is with you as your strength. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, it means you have your strength, all the strength you can muster, all the ability you have, all the intellect you can put towards solving a problem. You have all that. And in addition to all your strength, you have all God's strength. It's like that time Michael Jordan was playing for the Chicago Bulls and he scored something like 64 points. Another guy on the team scored two. But the other guy on the team said, yeah, I remember the day Michael Jordan and I scored 66 points together. <laughs> right? That's what it's like. God's strength and your two points. How many of you think it would help you to have God's strength added to your strength? How many of you think that'd be a good thing, right? See, in this world, you're going to have problems. You're going to have trouble. So am I. But Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have, here's our word again, say it, and in this world you will also have, but take heart, I have overcome the world. How many of you have lived long enough to know that life can get tough? Life can get tough. Jesus said, dear children, the one who's in you is greater than the troublemaker in the world. Greater than the problems in your life. Greater than the struggles and challenges you face. I don't want you to misunderstand me. Following Jesus doesn't make life easy. Wasn't easy for Jesus. Wasn't easy for his disciples. Wasn't easy for his mom. Wasn't easy for his friends. It hasn't been easy for me. It's not going to be easy for you. You get that, right? But listen, following Jesus doesn't make life easy. Following Jesus makes life possible. Let's say it. Following Jesus, let's say it. Following Jesus doesn't make life. Following Jesus makes life. When you are weak, he's with you as your strength. Got it? Got it? All right, one more of these. Emmanuel, God with us, means when you're dead, lost in your sins, he is with you as your, as your Savior. In the very first book of the Christian scriptures, the Gospel of Matthew, the word gospel means good news. This is the good news according to Matthew. It's the Gospel of Matthew. We read that first part of the Christmas story. And, and here's, a, here's a part of it again. And she, Mary, shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Say this last part with me. For he shall save his people from their sins. This is why we're awestruck. Because God knew what he was doing, and God knew what we needed most of all. I saw a quote maybe 20 years ago, at least 20 years ago, and it has stayed with me all these years, and it's so profound. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. 
If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. If our great, but our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us what? A Savior. Does that make sense to you? Jesus came to make you right with God. He came to make me right with God. We need forgiveness for our sins. We need that garbage cleaned out from our past, cleaned out from our mind. We need our sin canceled and erased. You don't need to be canceled. Your sin needs to be canceled. Shame, listen, shame needs to be gone because God forgave it. Guilt needs to be gone Because we have someone who saved us from living under condemnation. Who's tracking with me? When I say that God, the very God of heaven, the one who created all things, the highest, most magnificent one, when I say God is with you, I want you to understand what I'm saying. I'm saying when you're lost, he's with you as your guide. I'm saying when you're alone, he's with you as your companion. I'm saying when you're hurting, he is with you as your comforter. I'm saying when you're afraid, he's with you as your peace. I'm saying when you're weak, he's with you as your strength. And I'm saying when you are dead and lost in your sins, God is with you as your Savior. How many of you think that's good news? That, my friends should leave you standing in awe. Let's pray together. Father, today, I pray that your spirit would draw people close to you as you draw close to us. I know that there are some people that are here and listening online, and you might be in a pretty tough season right now. I get that. You're going through something hard. I get that. And today you recognize you really need Emmanuel, God with you. I'm gonna pray for you in just a second. I also wanna speak to another group of people. And right now you'd say, Brad, I'm actually going through a good season. Like I feel blessed right now. Things are going my way. And you would still acknowledge that you also want the presence of God every moment of every day in your life. I want... Emmanuel, God with me. So Father, thank you so much for a group of people, whether they're in need or they're in a season of blessing, they acknowledge, Father, we want your presence. I pray, God, especially for those who are hurting right now, I ask you, God, that you would be with them in a way that only you can. And I ask that it be tangible, that they feel it, that you would offer a supernatural peace that would go beyond our human ability to understand or even explain. For those who are desperate, for those who feel alone, for those who are afraid, for those facing a financial stress right now, a physical battle right now, God, that by the power of your spirit, you would be so present with everyone who's hurting. Because God, in your presence, we find hope and healing and forgiveness and grace. We find a heavenly peace. 
more than anything this world can offer. We thank you that you're always with us. Some of you would recognize that you're not walking with the Lord right now. I mean, you might say, yeah, I go to church and I used to as a kid and kind of believe in God, but really haven't known him personally. Not really. You might even say, Brad, until today, I didn't even understand why Jesus was born. I didn't know he came to die on a cross so that my sins could be forgiven. I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was for me. But you do know that today something is drawing you toward God. I mean, even if you walked in saying, I'm not religious, and I'm from a different faith background, none of that matters. You would say there's something right now drawing me to Jesus. You want to know what that is? That's God the Holy Spirit. You're not here today by accident. You're being drawn to God because God loves you and He's drawing you to Himself. He is your Christmas gift. The greatest gift of all. The gift of God's love through Jesus. See, the Scripture reminds us that we've all sinned. We've all done things the wrong way. And the only way we can be made right with God isn't because we're good enough. It's because Jesus was good enough. The only way we're forgiven is to receive God's free gift of forgiveness. God, I want that in my life. I want Jesus in my life. If you're here today and you recognize you need his grace, you need his forgiveness, you want his mercy, something's drawing you to him right now. I want you to simply in your heart say yes. Yes, Jesus, forgive me. Yes, Jesus, save me. Yes, Jesus, change me. Yes, Jesus, make me new. And when you said that, he heard that, and he's forgiven you. He's not going to make you just a better person. He's going to make you a new person. And from this day forward, you can live with the confidence that Emmanuel, God himself is with you. That's glorious. That's good news. That leaves us awestruck. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen.